The climate is changing. So are we. I'm Laura Lynch, and I host What on Earth? That's CBC's Climate Solutions podcast. Twice a week, we take you around the world to find the people who are trying to build a better future for all of us. We explore Indigenous science, new technologies. We talk openly about mental health and climate anxiety. We also take your smart questions all the time. Come find What on Earth wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Now or Never, the show that celebrates what it takes to try and reminds you that you're not alone when you do. Because even the tiniest changes take courage. I'm Ifi Chiwetelu. And I'm Trevor Deneen. And you know, when it comes to courage, Ifi, there was a huge bout of it this morning in my house because Ooh. today was the first day of school for my kids. Oh, that's right. How did it go? It was it was nerve-wracking. Uh, the last couple of years, my son has been very anxious on the first day of school. So today he turned to me and said, Dad, all I need is 10 seconds of courage to get through that door, and I should be okay. And I was like, what is happening, you little teenager? And sure enough, he walked into that school today like a champ, and he's there right now, and I, I couldn't be more proud of him. I love that. And it's making me feel a little bad, because today is my niece's first day of school, and where am I? I'm in an apartment in Toronto, nowhere near her for those moments when she needs that 10 seconds of courage. You gotta, you gotta connect. You gotta connect to her. Okay. Give me a second. I'm gonna make a call. Hello? Hi. Tell me everything about your first day of school. Well, first of all, school was just as easy as kindergarten. <laughs> Are you ready to graduate already? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I made two friends. You made two friends already? Tell me. What are their names? I don't know. I forgot. <laughs> Was there a best part of today for you, Nini Babes? Yeah. Eating the ring pop you're eating right now? Which was when we were leaving, I got the ring pop. Oh, cool. Nini girl, I'm so proud of you. Happy first day of school. You finished it. Thank you. I have to record something for work, so I'm going to call you back, okay? Bye. Look at that there. Three provinces away, thousands of kilometers, and it's like you were right there with her. Yeah. Thank you for the encouragement to try and be there with her while not actually being there. It's so important to stay connected to the people and the places that feel like home, and I know that that is much bigger than just family ties. Completely. It's holding to your sense of identity. It's, it's finding comfort or even just trying to claim a place you never got a chance to know. And all of that takes a lot of effort. And our guests today on Our Never are doing their best to show up and feel close no matter how far they may be from home. You know, right now I'm standing at the foot of the bridge and directly in front of me um, is leading to the other side of the lake. And it's so incredible just to, to think that in a few steps I could actually be in a place that holds so much meaning to me that I haven't seen in years. Having been evacuated twice, you have to make a choice. You're either going to like let it destroy you or you're going to get stronger. So I've decided to get stronger and try to keep hopeful for the day that we're going to return. 
you know, my dad is getting ready to move. He's moving out of the home that he's lived in since I was 11. And you know, then he sends me an email and says, I'm going to miss the bunnies in my backyard. And I'm just going to look at the bunnies a little bit more while I still have a chance. And I think, ah, you know, I don't know if I was ready for that email today. This is now or never being back home. The images that come to mind when I think back on my past, when I was a little girl living on Sioux Valley, was the dusty roads, walking along the dusty road with my sibling, Lori. I don't know, the the entire area was full of hills, full of grass. My dad calling out to me from across the street. Uh, My mom pushing me on the swing. Barbara Bad Elk spent the first five years of her life on Sioux Valley, Dakota Nation in southwestern Manitoba. Now those five years at home were all she would get with her family. Like so many other Indigenous children in the 60s and 70s, Barbara was taken from her family, her community, and forced into the child welfare system. Eventually, she ended up in the United States, where she lived ever since. But the home that was taken from her has never left her mind. The... The images that I had from my younger years, I I kept with me, and they were probably the, one of the reasons why I kept my sanity throughout my adoption years. My ability to retain my memories became so important, so that's why I think today I have such a great memory of my younger life, because I use that as an anchor um, to help me get through every single day. So I had to make sure that I kept at least the vision of my mom's face, my siblings, where I was from in front of me because they were my happy years. When I think upon those years, I feel a shadow fall upon me and it's kind of like everything turns gray. And the only colors that I remember were looking out into the sky at night, out the window, and thinking of my family. All of my life since I left, in 1975, when I was five years old, I always dreamt of going back home. Dreamt of going back to Sioux Valley, dreamt of going back to my family. So when I had had an opportunity to go back home in my early 20s, the band paid for my way to go home, and, I, and I, I didn't know really what to expect. So when I met my mom, I was like so nervous, but then sitting down with her, I wanted all of the answers. What happened? What, what transpired that I was taken away? All the, all the stuff, and I didn't get any of the answers. Um, and I understand now that she was hurting. Back then, though, I got very angry because I didn't understand. Um, I was lost in my own thoughts, lost in my own trauma. I ended up going back to Pennsylvania. I never wanted to return. And I realized at that point, everything had shifted for me. My home at that point was Philadelphia. And that's the way I saw it. Today, Barbara lives in Washington, D.C. 
those dusty roads and grassy hills of southern Manitoba, her family, her home, felt far away. It's been almost 50 years since she was taken. Five decades that she's been searching for a way to connect to the home she lost. But just a few months ago, at a gathering for 60 Scoop survivors in Ottawa, Barbara was finally able to find a piece of home once again. So in March of this past year, uh, I was able to meet the last of our siblings. I'm one of seven, and I'm the middle child. For the longest time, I had sought to find my youngest brother, and he was the last to be found. I had put out a an ad, I guess, in search of my bro- youngest brother, Jack, you know, born uh, 1974, all the details. And I would periodically check it and update whenever I learned something new about him. And I felt like a bottle on the ocean, just drifting, and it would come back to shore every now and then, and I would send it back out again, and I'm just waiting. And so I just prayed. I just kept praying for him and hoping that he was alive, hoping that we could be all together, or at least have my mom know that he was around. Well, this is actually the very first time I met my sister, Barbara. And I'm 48 years old. Yeah, last time I saw you, you were a baby. Yeah, so... One year old. So all of our lives, we haven't seen each other. Yeah. I'm not a very emotional person. I never was. <laughs> I am today. I missed him. I missed him. I missed him for so long. <laughs> But you don't forget your siblings. And I always worried about him where he was because he was the baby. It was finally meeting him and the acceptance that he has of me. Having him in my life has healed so much because he, I know he's somebody that understands me. That is something I can take with me no matter where I go. It felt strange hugging him, but it felt like home. I kept mentally thinking of him as this small, like really small, because that's what I remembered him. And here he is. Oh. This is his first ribbon shirt, eh? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, apparently I have emotions. <laughs> <laughs> My own personal lottery. Just in their voices, you can tell just how meaningful this moment was for the both of them. You can see it as well, because there's a video of Barbara and her brother Jack, just moments after meeting for the first time. And we're gonna put that on our CBC Now or Never Facebook page. If you want, go have a look. This is Now or Never. I'm Ify. And I'm Trevor. And today we're finding out the lengths people go to to stay connected to home. And that's hard enough when you have time to prepare for it, like heading away for school for the first time or finding a job in a different city or even just following your heart and moving for love. But sometimes 
Leaving home can happen at a moment's notice. Breaking tonight, Yellowknife residents told to get out now as wildfires bear down. I'm directing residents of Yellowknife to begin evacuating in a phased approach. On the morning of the 16th, I was packing up my truck, getting, you know, getting ready to, to evacuate. I did remember to pack the dress that I bought for my son's wedding. Another thing that I packed, um, kind of frantically, I guess, I was, uh, I filled my truck with my camping gear and I was just in the backyard and looking around and there was a hose and I was like, oh, a hose, I'll bring that. I don't think I was really thinking straight. I don't know what I would have connected the hose to, to put out any fire. But I think it did give me a little sense of security just to know it was there. The 2023 wildfire season has seen the most area burned in Canada's recorded history. Over 150,000 people have been evacuated this summer. Each and every one, a person away from the place that they find comfort. And worried that it won't be there when they finally are able to return. Hi, I'm Helen Malone Babineau. I am currently residing in Yellowknife, Northwest Territories, but as an evacuee, I'm now staying in Langdon, near Calgary, Alberta. So two weeks ago, uh, August 16th, I was packing up my truck, getting, you know, getting ready to to evacuate, not really with a clear picture in mind of where I'd be going, what I would need, how long I'd be gone, but I figured it was best to get ahead of the game. So I started getting ready that morning and uh, a friend of mine, we were going to follow each other out. So we were going to leave later that afternoon. And that happened to be the same day that I was having my brand new furniture delivered because I just moved in to this apartment actually uh, on August 1st. Housing is a very difficult thing to find in Yellowknife. I'd been looking for over a year and finally found a beautiful little apartment to stay in and the furniture kept being delayed to arrive because the highway was closing off and on and it finally arrived on the day that I was evacuating. (laughs) So the delivery guy called me around 11.30 and said, hey, we're going to come over with your furniture this afternoon. I said, okay, well, make it quick. So these two gentlemen arrived with their big truck loaded with stuff and started, you know, heading into my basement apartment, bringing all of these big pieces of furniture in that's kind of still wrapped in boxes and they're just pulling everything out of the boxes and I didn't get to sit on my couch yet. I will eventually, I'm sure. Helen is unfortunately no stranger to this feeling of leaving home behind. In 2016, she was forced to flee Fort McMurray due to a massive wildfire that many Albertans now call the beast. Not only that, This apartment was going to be a fresh start after a long search for housing. It's her first time having a space of her own in a very long time. Having been evacuated twice and kind of not really knowing where you're going to live for a little while, um, you have to make a choice. You're either going to like let it destroy you or you're going to get stronger. So I've decided to get stronger and try anyway to be stronger. So, you know, 
I'll have to keep um, hopeful for the day that we're going to return. And um, yeah, just looking forward to being settled back into uh, the place where I can hang my hat. This being my second time going through an evacuation of this, you know, wildfires, um, I think I had a little bit of part of me might have had a little bit of preparation, you know, and, and maybe a little less fear, but maybe another part of me might have a little bit more fear than I, than I did before, just for knowing how hard it is to be evacuated, you know, being away from, from the comforts of home and not knowing when you're going to get back. It's, it's a really, you know, it's, it's very uncomfortable. I was, waiting so long to get into my own apartment where I could put my things away and not have to carry my little you know, shower caddy to the bathroom every time I uh, was going to take a shower, you know, bring my toiletries in and bring my toiletries out. And, you know, having a place to put your things away, just, it's, um, yeah, it felt good. So I'm looking forward to that. I have this beautiful little shelf that I got off of Amazon, actually got it installed like two days before I'm, I evacuated, put my little shelf up. I still have yet to put my toiletries away, but I have a place for them and I can't wait to get home and put them all away. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. You know, if you're enjoying the show on the radio right now and you have to leave to, you know, do some life stuff that happens, you might kind of be sitting there thinking to yourself, ah, I don't want to miss the rest of this episode. I'm enjoying it too much. It's so good. Guess what? There is no need to panic. Just go to wherever you listen to podcasts and search for CBC Now or Never and Efi and I, our lovely faces, are going to pop up on the screen and you can listen to this full episode or, you know, we can hang out whenever you want. There are people listening to this on podcast right now thinking, sorry, what? This show exists on radio? We are everywhere. <laughs> we might even be standing behind you right now. Love what you've done with your hair. The back of it, perfect. <laughs> Smells so good. All of this is just to say, there's many ways to listen to the show. We want you to hear it. So don't hesitate to check them out. This is Now or Never. I'm Ifi Chiwetelu. And I'm Trevor Deneen. And it's one thing to stay connected to your home and your family when you live in the same city or maybe just like a province away. But what happens when you have an entire ocean dividing you and the person you love the most in the world is at one end and you are stuck on the other? So when I think of home, my mom comes to mind all the time because for me home is where mom is i feel like i would still miss zimbabwe but if my mom were here um i think i'll be more at peace 
Hi, my name is Charlene Sivanda. I am originally from Zimbabwe, um, born and raised. I live in Canada now, in Vancouver. Uh, I'm currently searching for flights to Zimbabwe for the festive season. The flights are about um, 4,400 return right now. So yeah, <laughs> quite high up there. Back home in Zimbabwe, the economic and political situation meant things were hard. So Charlene came to Canada along with her siblings in 2009. Her mom stayed behind, but she's never far from her mind. Hello, Savannah, so Mama. Hello, Savannah. Where do I even start? Like, honestly, I could write a book about my mom. Um, she, she's almost 77 years old now. So I think that's why I think about her a lot. Yeah, anybody can die at any time, but statistically speaking, you know, she doesn't have as much time as a 50 year old, but mom is uh, an incredible woman. She, she's our prayer warrior. She, she loves, 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 and she's the funniest woman I know, the smartest woman I know. She told me everything, honestly. I came here when I was 20 years old, but I was extremely equipped to be in a new country, new culture, to work, work very hard. And I started supporting family the minute I got here. So it's all the values that she instilled in my siblings and I. Part of why we are here is to help the ones that are still back home and that is mainly financially. Um, so what my siblings and I do monthly really is um, to send remittances back home for food, health care. Helping my family financially does make me feel connected. I think even when, for example, there's like a funeral, right? Uh, it's always harder for those because you feel like, am I just here to be sending money, you know, to buy coffins or to help transport a body from South Africa or something? Sometimes that connection is, it hurts because you feel like, yeah, I am connected, but my contribution to this is finances. But if it were me, um, I would rather be home with my loved ones. But you know that instead of paying $4,000 or $3,000, that $3,000 <laughs> would go even further if you sent it home to help, right? With the funeral arrangements and stuff. So sometimes the connection, you feel connected in an amazing way, but sometimes it kind of sucks while you still feel connected, the connection is not in the best of ways. It's like, wow, in the 13 years that I've been here, a lot of loved ones have passed away. So it is a sacrifice um, that I've had to make, that my siblings have had, had to make. But um, it's sometimes you wonder if it's worth it, but it is reality. But it is quite an honor to do that. I'm not complaining. I love doing it. I think everything happens for a reason. I think I came here for a reason. And I'm so happy that I'm in a place where I am able to help my family that, that we left behind. 
Being far away means Charlene always has to be thinking a little bit ahead, which is why she already knows what she's going to do when she gets back home for the holidays this year. The first thing I would want to do is uh, have a meal with my mom and and talk and, and tell her everything. <laughs> <laughs> everything that's been going on um, and yeah and, and just talk I, I just want to be able to make dinner for her or make a meal for her I just feel like she's just worked so hard I just want to have a meal with her you know and and just yeah just take care of her There are powerful photos and videos from some of our guests this week on the show, and you can find those by taking a peek at our CBC Now or Never Facebook and Instagram accounts. Lots more stories coming up, including lessons from the one who stayed. A daughter reflects on being the main caregiver, supporting her father while her sibling lives away. You know, it comes in waves. So my sister, who's in Calgary, she said to me just last week, are you not emotional about this? And I said, well, right now, in this moment, I feel really practical. I have to get things done. And so in that moment, I wasn't feeling emotional about it. But then things catch you by surprise. Like when my dad emailed about the bunnies, I was like, I'm not ready for this emotional moment because I'm still in get things done mode. And I, I did find that part challenging. That's coming up on Now or Never. This is Now or Never. I'm Trevor Deneen. And I'm Ifi Chiwetelu. And today our guests are doing what needs to be done to stay connected to the people, places, and feelings that remind them of home, which for Jelaine Santiago means lots and lots of jewelry. When you step into the brightly lit Cambio & Co. jewelry showroom, the first thing Jelaine is going to invite you to do is claim where you're from. Do you know where your family is from? Yes, yeah. I do. Yeah. So I have, well, I'm born and raised in Baguio City. Ooh, okay. So we can put a push pin there. Yeah, so and yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. My dad is more from the, the middle section, the Visaya section. Okay. And then my mom's from Mindanao. So I'm I like a United that. Nations of the Philippines. Yes, <laughs> yeah. you bring all the regions together. Oh, right. I love that. So everyone who comes, we invite you to add a little push pin. Okay. And nice. so if it's not already pinned, because we our, our goal is to fill up this whole map. Wow. So we got uh, Baguio City. Yes. You guys put a pin? Yeah. We just go for it. The Pinoy Pride doesn't stop with placing a pin on the giant map. Every item in this space was designed and handcrafted in the Philippines. Yes, we got a few different pieces. Um, in terms of what I'm wearing right now, it's like our Kaida bloom drops. So these oh, ones are nice. inspired by Sampaguita, uh, like the Sampaguita garlands. So we Whoa. have those ones. And I can show you our Arete collection because sure. it's also from the Visaya. When Jelaine started Cambio, her goal was to encourage Filipinos to wear their heritage and feel connected to home a connection that she is still working on for herself. I really loved getting to watch you do a consultation because you sound, as you should sound, like you know what you're talking about. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> is there ever part of you that's like, 
Jelaine, you've come a long way. Well, definitely, yes, there are moments where I'm having a conversation and I'm explaining the map of the Philippines to someone. And I realized to like how much experience I've gotten over the last few years of traveling back to Philippines, being able to work with artists and communities. And yeah, there's definitely a lot that I know that um, even my parents don't know. And that's definitely like a privilege. And that's something I'm really grateful for. But I always constantly feel like, oh, I don't know what I'm talking about. Growing up, what was your relationship with the Philippines? I didn't feel very closely connected to my Filipino roots and I was born there but we immigrated to Canada when I was really young about three years old so for me I didn't actually have that close connection and it didn't really feel like a place that I associated with home in any sort of way except for my parents and you know how they felt about Philippines so for me and how did they feel like just being caught between those two emotions of this immense love and this feeling of longing to be back there. And also this other sense that our future was not there, Mm -hmm. that our future is here, that our future is to assimilate into Canadian culture, that our future is to not teach our kids Tagalog, but to make sure that we know English um, as a priority. And so I personally grew up feeling proud to be Filipino, but at the same time, not knowing what that meant. Um, and also feeling a lot of shame as well around our food or our culture, um, feeling the need to also distance myself from that part of my identity. Um, so it's very confusing as mm-hmm. <laughs> someone growing up and trying to process all of those emotions. Yeah. yeah, It's pretty cool to hear you describe that as we're sitting here and there's like a big map of the Philippines <laughs> here. There's like where your heritage on the... Um, on the mirror, I think Pinoy Pride behind me. So when did when did some of that shift for you? My first trip coming back to Philippines since we immigrated to Canada. So I was about 22 years old at the time. It was 2012. And I just remember feeling the sense of like wonder arriving to Philippines and just seeing that there's so much that I didn't know. Even foods um, like lechon or halo-halo, like foods that I've had growing up in Toronto, having it in Philippines for the first time was like this mind-blowing experience. Like it really felt like my tongue was just coming alive. And I was like, wow, like this is what I've been missing or this is what I am a part of that I just didn't realize. I... I always feel so tender when people share their stories about like first going back home, especially when they immigrated to Canada young, just because it's it's my experience. Like I also came to Canada when I was three. And I remember my first trip back to Nigeria when I was 11 had so many mixed feelings of both like belonging and also profound like lack of belonging. Did you, did you experience a bit of that mix as well? Yes, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I completely felt so at at ease, but at the same time, deeply uncomfortable the whole time that we were in Philippines. And I think it's because it's like I got to meet all these titas and cousins who like knew so much about me and who were so excited to meet me. And like, it's clear that they have such profound love for our family. Um, And so I felt welcomed right away going back. But at the same time, like I didn't know who they were. I didn't know anything about them. And um, it just made me feel really excited to be there, but also really sad Mm -hmm. because it's like, why don't I know this about them when they know so much about me? When you were leaving um, that trip that sounded like it was a big trip for you, did you leave thinking like, 
I need to start a business? No. <laughs> like leaving that first trip was really just like, wow, what does this mean to be Filipino now? It was my first time really feeling seen as a Filipina. A lot of the exposure I had uh, growing up in Toronto was like, you know, beauty pageants or fiestas, which are really, really fun. And those are really wonderful and important parts of our culture, but it's just not me. Like, it's just, I'm a nerd. <laughs> like, you know, it just it wasn't something that I personally saw myself being able to contribute to. Um, and so learning about businesses that were creating these amazing, impactful, you know, um, designs and working with artisans and really doing entrepreneurship in a way that's like really community centered and just coming from a place of love like that really connected with me and made me realize like well there could be a place here for me I don't need to just be a bystander in my own culture I can actually I can contribute this is how I want to I want to hear about some of those early days starting Cambio <laughs> like how big was the learning curve around doing business in the Philippines? It was a massive learning curve. I still feel like it's a massive learning curve, uh, but there was a lot that I honestly did not know and that I learned only after making very, very bad mistakes. Mm, I um, need to hear a story. <laughs> in Filipino culture, it's very customary to address people who are older than you as like tita or ate or like um, even Lola sometimes, like tita often means auntie, um, ate means older sister. And for me, I just didn't really grow up using those terms and I didn't really understand how to apply them. So I was like, oh, let me just start calling everyone like tita and ate, like when we were in Philippines on our first, this was like our first trip to meet an artisan community. And I met one of the artisans that we were working with and she's like not that much older than me. Maybe she's like five or six years older than me. But in my mind, I don't know. I was just like, oh, let, like, let me call her Tita. And then her face just dropped. She was very offended that I called her Tita. I definitely did not use that correctly. Were those moments that made you think like, maybe I am not Filipino enough to be doing this? Yes, 100%. Mm. That was actually one of the hesitations in first creating this business was like, who am I to be owning a business that's supposed to be proudly Filipino when I myself have been so disconnected from my culture for so much of my life. And I think now I realize that there is so much I don't know. So how about I share my learning journey with others um, who also might be feeling the same way. You had described that first trip when you were 22 as like it didn't feel like going back to a home. Mm -hmm. Now when you travel to the Philippines, is there is there more feelings of home? Does it does it feel more like back home for you? Yes and no. I think it will never really feel like home, home in the same way as it would for my dad, for example. But it feels like a home, a place that is full of people I love and that's full of places I love and um, a place that I want to keep going back to, if that's what home can also mean. Evie, you may or may not know this about me, but uh, I can be a tad bit nostalgic. Yes. You are a walking human being with a layer of dust over you. You're perpetually <laughs> <laughs> sitting in the corner dreaming of the past. 
<laughs> it's true. It's sad, but it's true. Like I'm always like driving past old neighborhoods that I used to live in, or I'm thinking about what it'd be like to go walk through the halls of my junior high or my elementary school. Like I live in the past in my mind. I think that's because there's just so many memories attached to all these locations that we spent so much time in in our youths. So much so that even a short glimpse of a meaningful place from your past can actually bring up all sorts of emotions. At least, that's kind of what we're hoping is going to happen today at the Forks in Winnipeg, where we've brought a VR headset in hopes of taking people back to a place that they used to know. Hello. We have a very simple question for you. What is a meaningful place, like a location somewhere, that you would love to go back to? I would like to go to Nudimic. Nudimic? Yeah. It's in the White Shell, in the Manitoba Provincial Parks. What does Nudimic mean to you? It's a lot of camping and family fun and fishing. Yeah, summer holidays. When were you last there? Probably about five years ago. Is there a favorite memory for you when you think about what Nudimic represents to you? What's the memory that comes to mind? Mostly just freedom as a kid. You didn't really have to be back by any certain time. It's just like, we'll be, be back when it gets dark because that's when we're having marshmallows and a fire. And now everything's so structured. Okay, I think we might be ready. So how does this work? Um, we first got to clip this to you. Oh, wow. Oh, 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 wow. <laughs> what are you seeing right now? I, I'm seeing a beautiful water and the trees and there's no buildings it's it's just beautiful and the granite rock and oh i can almost hear the water there's usually like cliffs that you can jump off of and there'd be tons of fish in here oh so i, I want to go fishing yeah, yeah. I, I definitely <laughs> want to go fishing when you're looking at it and you're being brought right back to being in nudimic what feelings come up for you just happiness like just com being completely happy um, absolutely no worries no cell phone I just want to go right now. <laughs> well, I used to have, uh, when I was growing up, a place on McRae Avenue in the North End. What feeling comes up for you when you, when you think about that house? Memories. Uh, all kinds. You know, we grew up as a very close family. Grew up with a family of 17 of us. 17 wow. kids. That must have been a massive house. <laughs> We played on the street a lot. Those days you could play outside. What type of things did you play when you played on the street? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we played knock up ginger. You would go. We was it was called. You were the Hellraisers in that neighborhood. I don't know what that game is. What's knock, knock up ginger? Knock, knock ginger. You it just you knock on somebody's door, you run and you knock and you run and you hide. And they come to the door and they look for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Well, we have a little bit of an experiment we're doing in that we have some virtual reality glasses. And we want to know, can we take you back to that house? So you can look at it and see it? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. Can you see your house? Oh, I can. I can see that. If you look all around, like, can you see what it will? Do you see, see neighbors' houses? And, and I see the, path, the sidewalk going around to the back. Yeah, that one does look like ours. Oh, it brings back memories. <laughs> in the summer, you know, it was very, very hot in the summertime. And my mother would put sheets on the, on the front lawn and we'd sleep outside. It was good. It was a good life. Aww. Yeah.
Hi, what's your name? Leah. Leah? Is there a place you can think of in your mind that you would love to go back and revisit? Something very personal to you? Uh, yes. My dad grew up uh, in Interlake, and as a kid, I would head back to the farm to visit the place where he grew up with my grandparents. And they've always lived there, and it was like a different place in a different time because there was no light pollution, there was no sound pollution. It was just open fields and pastures and the lake. And it was wonderful to spend that time as a kid growing up and being able to have my escape from the city, but also sort of escape from my life there and be a different person in a different place. So it's a really, really meaningful place for me to be. Where is it? It's a little community called Care. It's about an hour and a bit past the Narrows. We are going to bring you to the bridge of the Lake Manitoba Narrows. You can hang on to me if you need to. Okay. Uh, I'll let you put these on, slide these on on the back of your head. Oh, wow. Describe what you're seeing. You know, right now I'm standing at the foot of the bridge and directly in front of me um, is leading to the other side of the lake. And it's so incredible just to think that in a few steps I could, you know, theoretically, but not really, actually be in a place that holds so much meaning to me that I haven't seen in years. It's kind of emotional to look through this because it just takes me to a different place. I see green. Um, the horizon is quite beautiful because it's just trees at some point. Even like the, um, the gravel shoulders of the highway, just the sound of the gravel on the tires, that is something completely completely different to experience and that also is very evocative of, of the old farmhouse because you would have to travel for about 30 minutes on gravel roads and so even just the sound or the feeling and the vibration of the car on the gravel roads is also something that's really special. When you see the roads all around you, how old are you? I'd say I'm probably about 10, 8 to 10, but I, I, just, I just feel younger and I'm brought back to that place where um, Problems are taken care of for me. I don't have the added responsibility. And I know that whatever happens, I'll be safe and taken care of. This is Now or Never. I'm Trevor Deneen. And I'm Ifi Chiwetelu. And so far today, we've heard from people trying their best to stay connected to their sense of home while being away from it. But now, it's time to hear the experience of someone who stayed. Hey, Dad. This is Ify. This is Hi, my pleased to meet you. This is my dad, Charles. Everybody calls me Charlie, though. This is the most remarkable daughter born in North Toronto. She's born to me. Apologies to every other daughter born in North Toronto, but Charlie <laughs> said what he said. With high praise like that, it is no surprise that Amy Kupal loves visiting her dad. Charlie is 86 and lives alone in the family home in Toronto where Amy grew up, but things are about to change. Charlie is planning a move into a retirement home. It's something that is important uh, for a fellow my age who uh, has had one significant fall uh, this summer, and my health issues now can be uh, safer guarded at uh, Chartwell facility near Amy's house rather than walking alone here at night or whatever have you. Yeah. So it's all good. Charlie sounds ready to move, but as his primary caregiver, right now there's never been more for Amy to do. 
what what does the time look like when you when you when you're sitting with your dad these days and when you're visiting with him what what does that time look like you know it's a combination of practical and sentimental you know my dad is getting ready to move he's moving out of the home that he's lived in since i was 11 so not a day goes by that you know we're not talking about something that has to be done and you know then he sends me an email and says I'm going to miss the bunnies in my backyard and I'm just going to look at the bunnies a little bit more while I still have a chance. And I think, ah, you know, I don't know if I was ready for that email today. There are a lot of memories here. So my mom passed away about 12 years ago and my brother passed away. Oh my goodness. 25 years ago. And so this house holds the memories of those two really important people in our family who aren't here anymore. I can imagine then that there's a lot of emotions wrapped up in thinking about, you know, releasing this space for, for everyone, for you and your dad. How, how are you feeling about thinking about that possibility? You know, it comes in waves. So my sister, who's in Calgary, she said to me just last week, are you not emotional about this? And I said, well, right now, in this moment, I feel really practical. I have to get things done. And so in that moment, I wasn't feeling emotional about it. But then things catch you by surprise. Like when my dad emailed about the bunnies, I was like, I'm not ready for this emotional moment because I'm still in get things done mode. And I, I did find that part challenging. But you know, this is the thing where I'm trying to give myself permission to take enough time to have those emotional moments and not just be go, 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 right? Yeah. Because you have to have enough space to cut, like find that picture that you didn't know existed and, and look at it and realize that it makes you want to cry and have time to cry instead of, oh, I just got to throw that in a box. Yeah. So it's, um, it really comes in waves. Yeah. You mentioned your sister, Julia, and my, my heart did a little pull because I was, I was thinking, I am that sister who's away. I think I get to be the one that's away and just sit in the sentiment of it all while they're there balancing, like you said, the practical and the sentimental because they're the ones on the ground with their hands there. For you, what have you noticed about um, how you and, and Julia like stay connected and both involved in, in, these, in this moment of transition for your family? Well, we have a bit of practice that has helped a little bit because um, my mom was sick, uh, went through her own cancer and palliative care journey, you know, sort of 12 to 15 years ago. And my sister was living in Calgary then too. And we borrowed some of the strategies that we developed then now. So one of them is some things I just have to do and then let her know later. Cause there isn't time for like the group conversation. Sometimes it's like, even if you don't like the decisions that got made here, if you're not here, it's happening in real time and I will do my best to keep you posted, but I, I can't, I can't promise that you're going to be involved. And that part's hard. It's hard for me because if something happened and she doesn't like it, then we may have to have a conversation about it. And I know that it's also hard for her because she wants to be involved. We've tried to be about this phase of my dad's life, that there's a division of responsibility. So if I'm the one who has to go to the in-person things, I'm going to do that. But if she can do things like forward the mail, 
then she can do that. So we have a spreadsheet, right? And the spreadsheet is Amy does all the in-person things and here's what they are. And Julia does all the distance things and here's what they are. And like, this is where, you know, the project manager and me comes out. I was like, we need a spreadsheet and we gotta have everything in and we gotta know ahead of time, these are the things we wanna talk about together first. And these are the things where we can just do it and let each other know. Yeah. This is such a good, like my mind is racing right now thinking about the benefit of a spreadsheet as a tool of like sharing responsibility, but also for you maybe as a way for for her to recognize and know all that's happening that she's not witnessing. Because I'm thinking about there's so much like work that is invisible to me that I, I'm, I'm not a, aware of. Is that a piece of it for you too? It really is. And, you know, I think my sister probably could relate to you a lot in that she would like to be more involved, but geography is geography and she wants to know everything. I'm trying to figure out, okay, how do I do that communicating and updating in a way that doesn't just make it more overwhelming for me, right? And so we have had some honest conversations about that where I've said like, I'm going to let you know as best as I can, as soon as I can. And there are times where I've texted her, you know, if we have medical appointments and stuff like that, and I'll just say, look, things are moving fast. (laughs) I'll send you the summary later. Or sometimes if we're in a doctor's appointment, I will text her kind of live updates and those become my notes. But there's a really important rule with that one, which is you can't ask questions. (laughs) You can text me back and ask your questions later, but right now the only thing I can do is listen to the two other people in the room and keep you posted. That's that's my high water line. Communication is really big and it's not always easy because everybody does have feelings about these things. In some of those tougher conversations that you and Julia have had to have, have you been able to share how you feel about being the person that's present? I think I'm, I'm sort of asking this too on behalf of I know I've been holding that question a little bit of like, are you resentful um, that I'm not there? And so I want to take this opportunity to ask you, like, do you, does that come up for you? And are you able to share that with each other? Yeah, I mean, I appreciate the question. I, I don't, I don't feel resentful because I, there's a practical reality of I am here. Like, that's the truth. And the other true thing is that I want to be doing this. I feel honestly really honored to be able to do this with my dad, who's a good guy, is a great dad. And I also know, because I have lost my mom, that not everybody gets this privilege. You know, I I know that. And, And so if you have the privilege to have a parent who gets to be in their mid 80s, there are people who would like to have these challenges. And that is never lost on me, ever. Yeah, yeah. That is so true. And it's also making me think about the pieces that a spreadsheet of responsibilities can't capture. You know, like the, like sitting in memories together or having these moments face to face. And so the resentment might flow the other way as well of being like, you get to be here. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, again, I, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but I think there are moments that she said to me, I want to be there for that. So we try and kind of have compassion and understanding for each other. And we actually don't know what it's like to be in the other one's shoes. We don't. And so, you know, we also really 
find the humor in these moments. You know, I'll tell you a funny story. So my dad sends these lovely little emails every morning to let us know that he's okay and he had a good sleep. And one day um, he was adjusting to a new medication and he was talking about his fatigue, but he put a typo in it and wrote fartigue. <laughs> and so we coined the term between the two of us. And now we rate our own fartigue, which is like, what is your level of exhaustion with life right now that just makes you want to like throw in the towel? And if you're a 10 out of 10, the other one better be ready to step up, right? And if you don't find the humor in these things, you, it's going to be a lot harder. There's so much that you shared that I that I know I'm going to hang on to and I'm sure so many listeners will resonate with. So thank you so much for your time, Amy. Oh, it's been my pleasure. And I really appreciate you talking about this because my feeling about a lot of these transitions in life is that we don't talk about them enough. And then people think they're the only ones and you rarely ever are. So I appreciate you guys talking about these now or never moments so that we can acknowledge that, that other people might be going through something like it too. Yeah. And maybe we'll hear other people saying, I'm checking in on everyone's fatigue. Just making sure. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I am so glad we got to hear someone who is the family member that is there at home holding it down. In fact, Amy has lots of tips of how family who's away can stay connected while caring for someone. You can find that on our website, cbc.ca slash now or never. Trevor Dini, I have a question for you. Hit me. You're planning a bit of a move. <laughs> and we just spent a whole episode talking about how to stay connected to home. Yeah. So, how you feeling? What What's coming up? It's, uh, it's a lot. I gotta tell you, it's giving me a lot to think about because I am moving out of my home that I've lived in for the last 11 years where I got engaged, I got married, I got a dog, I had two kids, I started a family. It's like... This home. You met me. I met you. I got this job. 100%. Like there's so much of my <laughs> adult of life happened here. And, and and now we're moving and it's very, very bittersweet for me. And uh, this episode is making me think a lot about how to stay connected to this neighborhood, to this community of wonderful people um, with without having a home, a physical home still in this neighborhood. And, and, and that's going to be tough. Yeah. But home is more than just a physical location and you know that yeah i know i know and you just moved thanks to our producers for uh, putting together this week's episode we don't need to get into me uh andrew friesen sarah tate bridget forbes betsy trumpener and katie swales and special thanks to colleen heel cardinal we'll see you next time <laughs> take care everybody For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.